0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 4th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Sunday marks the 100th birthday of the 40th President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. William Niskanen served as a member and acting chairman of Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors. He is currently chairman emeritus and distinguished senior economist at the Cato Institute. We spoke about Ronald Reagan earlier this week. What did you know of Ronald Reagan, the man?
1: Well, I had worked for him... When he was a governor of California, I was a professor at Berkeley at the time and served on two of his task forces. So I had some sense of what he wanted to do as governor. Now, over time, I got to know him as a man. And I have a summary of my perspective on him in the last year of his administration. that is in my book on Reaganomics. Reagan has the most important, most transparent person in American public life. He conveys much the same impression to a television audience before large groups, to his cabinet and aides, and to the socialist president of France. He is at peace with himself, comfortable with his convictions, intuitive rather than analytical, youthful in spirit, infectiously optimistic, and gracious in his personal relations. The contrast with Richard Nixon could not be more dramatic. I had worked for Nixon also.
0: (laughs) As president, what were your expectations – uh, when he became president?
1: Well, I, expect him, I expected him to have ambitious goals. I did not realize how strongly committed he was on the foreign policy and defense area. But that, I think, was his most uh, substantial accomplishment of ending, this, ending the Cold War. Uh, at the end of his term, uh, the Warsaw Pact had dissolved. Russia itself, the, United, the USSR had dissolved. Soviet Union had dissolved. And that was a consequence of of several things. One is uh, beefing up uh, uh, national security spending, uh, greatly improving the uh, the, uh, outcome uh, output of the American economy, and importantly, keeping his priorities right. One of the most important things that Reagan did on foreign policy is withdrawing the Marines from Lebanon after uh, Hezbollah had bombed the Marine barracks in Beirut and killed 200 Marines. Uh, Reagan didn't want that to divert his attention from his more important role of, uh, of challenging the Soviets and bringing the Cold War to a, to a successful end.
0: And challenging the Soviets uh, indirectly.
1: Challenging the Soviets, I think, rather directly, not by moving military forces, but making it clear that we had a very powerful military and a strong economy to back it up. Now, the second thing that Reagan did in that area that was, uh, surprised most people is that he developed quite good personal relationships in his second term with Mr. Gorbachev. And that helped bring the Cold War to an end by, by having an ally in, in the Kremlin.
0: <laughs> there was a small recession in the spring of 80. Um, the 70s were not a great decade for uh, economic performance and uh, inflation was quite high. What was Ronald Reagan walking into uh, (laughs) when he became president?
1: Well, he inherited an inflation rate of 13.5% on the Consumer Price Index. Uh, He inherited a uh, Federal Federal Reserve Bank chairman uh, that Carter had appointed. But what he found, uh, and with good advice on this matter, he reappointed Volcker right away, and gave Volcker a free hand in terms of the conduct of monetary policy, something that Carter had pulled the plug on Volcker in 1980, an election year. Now, Volcker, uh, through the fall of 82, uh, which was a congressional election period of time, maintained a quite, a quite strict monetary policy of um, a very low growth of the money supply. And it was not until after that that he started to ease up. The consequence of that uh, actions by Volcker and so with the support of the president, even through a uh, congressional election year, led the inflation rate to fall to 3.2 percent in 1983. So it was brought down from 13.5 to 3.2 in three years. And that uh, that was one of his major accomplishments. And I think in that case, it was a consequence of his own convictions uh, and uh, and good advice from his um, economic advisors.
0: A lot is made of a situation that could arguably be similar to one that we face right now. We have uh, one house of Congress controlled by Republicans, a president uh, of the Democratic Party, and maybe a potential for corporate tax reform in the in the, uh, the night the big 1986. Uh, tax reform, which was hailed as as deftly handled, can you describe the the situation there?
1: Well, uh, there were two important tax bills in Reagan under Reagan. The first is in 1981, brought the top marginal rate on personal income from 70 percent down to 50 percent, effective in I think 1985. Brought down over that period of time. Now the 1986 uh, tax reform bill brought the top personal rate down to 28%. So uh, Reagan inherited a top uh, rate of 70%, was brought down to 28% uh, up by the, the second of these two big tax bills. Now, the 1986 bill was somewhat different, however, in the sense that it raised, it increased, the taxation of corporate income, uh, which I think was a mistake. Uh, I had had a... Long uh, problem with uh, the Secretary of Treasury Don Regan uh, uh, advising him against that measure, but the 1986 bill raised the corporate tax rate by several percentage points, and and lowered the personal income tax rate again from, in that case, 50 percent down to 28 uh, percent.
0: For libertarians, I think Reagan is sort of a, a figure that you you want to uh, admire in conviction, um, but can't in some ways given uh, certain outcomes. When he gave speeches uh, on the campaign trail, he would say that government is the problem but was careful to say things like, well, we need government's rate of growth to not be as high as these other guys over here would prefer. and uh, So that sort of uh, might have dashed the hopes uh, for an honest-to-goodness reduction in the size and scope of government.
1: Well, I think part of the reason for that is that Reagan put about 70% of the budget off limits to to any cuts that he would propose. He put off limits defense, which he was building up, off limits social security and medicare at the time, the big entitlement programs, and of course interest payments on the federal debt. So all of his tax reduction or as spending reduction proposals were were specific to the other 30%. Now that domestic discretionary spending. Now, that, uh, that part of the budget has more politics per dollar than any other part of the budget because it's spread in quite fine detail over or, or many, many, many different people. And uh, there were some minor uh, reforms in it. they moving toward block grants and a lot of uh, 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 state and local grants moved from matching grants to block grants. But uh, there was very little spending uh, reduction approved by Congress uh, in that domestic discretionary spending. Now, uh, that maybe should not have been too surprising. But in any case, total spending proved to be a good bit higher than what the Reagan administration uh, anticipated in, uh, in its first budget. Because it was in part because it was primarily primarily because it was focused on this thirty percent of the total budget, which has a lot of politics in it,
0: Jimmy Carter had a pretty good record as a deregulator, and I think that surprises a lot of people to hear that um, what was contrast those two records and what what uh what they mean and maybe the circumstances surrounding the deregulatory record of Carter versus Reagan.
1: Carter had a a good, really an unusually good uh, deregulatory record that he sold under somewhat false pretenses. Uh, The general inflation rate was going up sharply under Carter. And Carter sold his deregulatory proposals as a way of controlling inflation. But you don't control total inflation by deregulating particular sectors. And of course, Carter ended up with this 13.5 percent inflation rate in his final year, but he deserves credit for the substantial deregulation of uh, railroads and trucks and and uh, domestic transportation and starting on utilities, uh, even though that it was sold under false pretenses. But he deserves credit for that. It was not a high priority for Reagan in the first place, although he had he had a good. Person in charge of deregulatory measures in, uh, in Office of Management and Budget, Chris Demuth, who later became president of the American Enterprise Institute. Um, there was just not that much additional deregulation that was going to be easy to accomplish. There was one big improvement in antitrust. We had a we had a, a very good antitrust attorney general, attorney general for antitrust, Bill Baxter coming out of Stanford, I believe, during that period of time. Under both Carter and before that, there had been longstanding antitrust suits against IBM and big, big companies. Uh, Baxter basically said, enough is enough. I'm going to stop it. And And he did. We had a much cleaner approach toward antitrust under Baxter than was ever the case ever, I think, before. Now the other thing that that Reagan did is I think not remembered very much and it worked but it worked out very well. In his election year in 1980 I believe the one union that supported him was the air traffic controllers. Well, in the summer of 81 in Reagan's first summer as president, the air traffic controllers pulled a strike. Closed down air traffic for a while thinking they could get away with it, having, having supported Reagan in the election. Reagan uh, um, issued an order against the Union. He brought in a lot of military air traffic controllers, tried to restore uh, air traffic, and it was quite well restored within a week or so. And that was a very good signal about, um, about how he would react in subsequent situations. Now, there was a big uh, strike in, I think, 83 by the communications workers, but there was no illegality to the strike, and uh, Reagan didn't touch that. So he he handled, he handled those strikes, I think, in both cases much better.
0: In the late 70s, uh, Reagan did an interview with uh, Reason Magazine, and Bob Poole was, uh, was one of the people who w- was sitting in on that interview, and... Uh, they were asking questions about all manner of, of the proper role of government, of, you know, you know, asking about fire service, who should provide that and that sort of thing. And in the, the answers, you get a real sense, I think, that, that Ronald Reagan had really thought about these things, like had spent quite a bit of time considering what really is the proper role, state, federal government and, uh, and how – these things ought to function in in his own idealized world. He suggested that at the heart of conservatism was libertarianism, and uh, was a particularly striking comment. What kind of philosophy did you glean from uh, from Reagan in knowing him?
1: Well, I uh, I was puzzled about why his judgment was so good on so many matters, particularly economic matters, uh, until last year, in which I read a book about. Uh, Reagan's role as a spokesman for uh, General Electric. Uh, Reagan came to General Electric after being, what I must acknowledge, a second-rate movie actor, but then the president of the Screen Actors Guild, and a Democrat. And uh, But during the period of time that he was a spokesman for General Electric, he read an incredible amount of material. He read the Hayek and, and Mises and, and, uh, and Friedman and so forth the, uh, during that period of time. Second is that he, he, he took the lessons from his, from his reading and put it on three-by-five cards. And then the actor in him memorized the cards— so he not only had the understanding of what he was talking about he had the he had the rhetoric down well i when i was working for him both in california and here i was puzzled about the fact that he was reagan was not a very analytic person but his intuition his judgments were so good and i couldn't understand why uh, how he how his judgments were so good without being really a very analytical in his approach toward matters, he would typically, when he received a memo or a proposal from somebody, he would check the bottom line of the proposal against his priors, without necessarily going through the argument. He didn't really didn't he didn't want to involve himself in the detailed analysis. The analysis was more important to sell the argument to other people in in the cabinet and, and, and elsewhere. But he was. His judgment on the on the outcomes was so good, it puzzled me. Working with Vice President Bush at the time, he was just the opposite. You couldn't you couldn't predict what his judgment was going to be, but he acted as if he was deeply involved in the analysis. Uh, in Reagan's case, he he um, his judgment was so very good, and one of his more important judgments is to to recognize and to acknowledge when he was not comfortable with the proposal. And so he would he would very seldom get involved in a problem when uh, uh, forwarding a proposal just because, approving a proposal because somebody else proposed it. If he didn't understand it, it, didn't understand the reasons for the proposal, he would almost always delay action on it and appoint a different group to look at the uh, proposal before he would take actions on it. And a willingness to put issues off like that when he doesn't understand it themselves is the better part of wisdom. Uh, and I think – but as I say, all during the whole period of time that I worked for him, I didn't really understand where that judgment came from. I doubt whether it came from being a movie actor or head of the Screen Actors Guild. But it came, I think, in very large part from his experiences as a spokesperson for General Electric for eight, uh, for eight years.
0: William Niskanen served as a member and acting chairman of Ronald Reagan's Council of Economic Advisers. He is currently chairman emeritus and distinguished senior economist at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.